Say they are unsung heroes of film and TV. Supervisor. Script Supervisors Unsung Heroes of Film and TV was created from interviews of over a dozen script supervisors from across the U.S. Episodes were written and produced by Karen Ruby and Eden Woolworth, edited by Eden Woolworth, and contains original music by Edith Mudge. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't want to up. I just don't want to up. You've got to talk about, hey, that's how you know that you can fight harder. Negotiation is a chance for them to show you who they are. If you want my best work, then you have to pay me to do my best work. You get to step up your game. If you don't value what I'm doing, then why would I bring any effort into your production? Never do work that you're not being paid for. This episode, we feature multi-talented Roe Moore in an interview that was recorded in person before the pandemic. Rose scripted on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion show, Emmy Award-winning RuPaul Drag Race, Sundance Film Festival winner, Entertainment, and multiple commercials and branded content. She's a member of the DGA, Local 871, the Television Academy, and the Producers Guild. Rowe also directs film and theater and teaches her course Script Supervising Made Easy online. After the interview, stay tuned for an enlightening conversation about interviewing, negotiating, and knowing your worth. Hi, bro. Hi. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Good. So the first thing I want to talk about is how you actually got started as a script supervisor, because I don't think anyone has the same route as anyone else. So see yeah. your story. So ironically, I started getting into the entertainment industry back in like 2007, 2008. I was back in Colorado. I got bit by the bug for acting. And it was at the time that YouTube was starting to become a place to source talent. And so there was that big push to start creating your own content and getting your name out there, all that kind of stuff. And so I started learning not just what was happening on camera for me as an actor. I started learning behind the scenes. And I auditioned for a feature film in Denver called Valentine's Day. The director loved me, but unfortunately, it was a mother-daughter role. And the mom they picked would not have worked. And so I was like, okay, well, that's fine. I appreciate you. And he's like, why don't you just come work on set? I could use some help. You can learn alongside. And I was like, oh, okay. And the first day on set, I'm sitting there in the little corner being like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, I just don't want to fuck up. I just don't want to fuck up. And I happened to notice when we did the first scene that the lady who is the mom switched the bag in every take and after a while I was like I'm not trained I, I don't know a lot about filmmaking but I don't think you can do that and it totally <laughs> caught the director by surprise it caught the actors by surprise and that was when I was like oh well what is this I didn't even know continuity yeah. was a thing so they didn't have a script supervisor on this no it was well. a crew of three people so the cameraman me and the director and then the cast that's literally how small this film was and it was a feature film oh, no sound yeah we had audio oh, okay. sorry so yeah I guess four people okay but yeah I mean that director we went to a screening for it in front of the Colorado Actors Screenwriters Assembly, which is a small community in Denver. And he pointed me out and was like, this girl has more to offer than what she is showing. So we need to really keep an eye on her. And I was like, what? I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> um, so fast forward, basically, I did a lot of stuff in Colorado, went to New Mexico, did some stuff, came out to LA. And as I was still struggling as an actor, because I'm a certain type, I'm blonde, tall, white, there's a ton of competition out here. 
like that. Yeah. So I got tired of not being able to pay my bills, and I thought back to that memory of me pointing out that mm. and being that on that film, and I was like, what is that? So I Googled. I found where somebody advertised for script supervision classes. Happened to be Mark Thomas, a 25-year vet. We all, in the scripty community, kind of know him. So he trained me for eight weeks, got me up and running, and after the eight weeks, he brought in two actors, and we did a one-page scene so he could see how I lined the script, how I put the facing page together, how I interact and talk to the director, so I could get some life experience, and the rest was history. That's amazing. Here's the thing, and like I was thinking about this on the drive over, okay? Because somebody posted saying 2020 was their year to try and really make script supervising their career and their full-time mm -hmm. gig, okay? Somebody posted on that comment thread saying, hey, there's not enough jobs for all of us. We're a department of one. So if you times however many productions there are, times however many script supervisors there are. I'm sorry, I had to stop off that thread because I was like, there's a job for everyone who wants to do it. It's just that the good people rise to the top. And yes, if those good people continue to get called for more than one job, they deserve it. But that also means you get to step up your game. And whether that means you gotta step up your networking game, you gotta step up like the guy who proudly put it out there saying, hey, this is my goal. Somebody let me know. You gotta be willing to do that, but you gotta right. find a way to step up your game. So your skill set's there, your networking is on point, and you're a good, <laughs> friendly, nice person to have on set. There's no reason you won't work. Right, or find a niche. Like I found ah, a niche yes. in my commercials. I found that niche, that's where I like being. Yes. And I've learned how to be strong in that environment. And then go find the producers and like just inundate them and be like, this is what I'm learning and this is why I wanna work in this and I wanna work with you. That's another way that you do it. And I feel like everybody's like, oh, you gotta know somebody who knows somebody. Like I came out here knowing nobody. And yes, you do have to get to know people along the way as you're out here and continue to talk and stuff like that. But a lot of it is you gotta figure out how to approach, what information to share, not share, and all of that will help you get where you want to go. Because I promise you, if you network, if you tell other script supervisors, hey, I'm looking for work, or even if you tell them, hey, I don't know what to do right now, but my career's frozen and I need help, you'll get a ton of answers. Everybody just loves having the mystery of how it happens. Mm -hmm. And when you demystify it, people go, oh. And then they're demotivated, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that that's just something that's near and dear to my heart because obviously I've found a way to make it work. There's been right. other people that have made it work. Thousands and thousands of people that have made it work, so... Exactly. When you're a script supervisor, what is the one thing that, like, if that happens, you're like, ah! Because at first I was like, oh, I have no answer, because usually I'm so easygoing on set. Like, I've learned to just not take things personally, so when somebody says something dumb to me, it just goes over my head, and I just go, this is a teaching moment. <laughs> Let me, like, be the most helpful, loving person to this person. But, like, I guess the biggest pet peeve is when I explain something, and I've explained it, and I've explained it, and then it doesn't work out the way that it's been explained. And I'm like, okay, where in my communication did it not come out correctly that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves and like i wish it was just a little bit more seen and like barry caldwell i have to give him a shout out because he goes through all the projects that got nominated and he finds all the script supervisors and he gives us shout outs on the little scripty boards and stuff mm -hmm. like that and like but i didn't know about that until <laughs> i was in the facebook groups right and it's great for us as a community to have that but how do we get the industry to recognize it yeah I guess the other pet peeve is like not having tea. I understand that we're like an industry of coffee drinkers, but if you want to really make me mad or have a bad morning, just don't have hot water on set. Thank you. Like that makes me cry, especially if it's winter. I did a feature film out in Kentucky 
We were shooting in the woods, nondescript, unincorporated woods, had no heaters, had no hot water, had basically only coffee, and like, I literally was holding the coffee cup to stay warm, and I had six layers of clothing on, nothing was saving me. But like, not having hot water on set is just, it's driving me bonkers. Thank you. I agree <laughs> that, with that. That will 100%. be my pet peeve, yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> So the multifaceted, <laughs> multi-talented, amazing row is also teaching script supervising. So yes. if you guys are listening and you want to learn script supervising from somebody who knows all of the aspects, <laughs> you are in luck yes. because now you're teaching online, right? Yes. Uh, I set up a nice online class. That'll be my normal in-person class because I got so many requests of like, hey, I'm in New York. I'm in Chicago. I'm in Oklahoma. I want to learn, but I can't afford to come to LA and I work so much that I don't have time to go out there and teach them. So the script supervising classes that I offer, the name of it is script supervising made easy because you have to be able to break down what we do in a trade to that level. So that's why I call it script supervising made easy because I bring it down to that level and then bring you back up to speed and we run. So what I've put together is a 26 chapter online class and you go through each segment. So we cover like the facing page, we cover continuity, we cover all of the reports, everything that could happen on a job, especially the differences between commercial, TV, film, all those kinds of things. And it's got a video component. So you watch the 20 minute video. It goes in depth of how to fill it out, how to handle it on set, what your workflow can look like, how to kind of create your own workflow depending on what you're doing. And then it has worksheets. It also has like PDFs for you to keep. You just work through all these different chapters and then by the end you get a certificate. It also will have a component where people who are taking the class in addition to you, you can talk to them and kind of see what their insights are. So the lessons air at a certain time and everybody watches them and then they interact with each other and then you're available for questions and feedback. Right. It is all self-paced too. That's awesome. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, let's put out in the world how everyone can find you, say all your websites and your sure. feeds and Twitters or Instagrams or however you want people to find everything. So yeah, my website is www.rowmore.com. Perfect. This was so great. This was so informative. Thank you for sharing all your experience and your knowledge with us and the of world. Course. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Ro. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. Thank you for having me again. The extraordinary script supervisors on this season include Don Gilliam, who scripted Black Panther, Boys in the Hood, Fences, Star Wars Episode 9, and she also got IMDb to create a new category for script supervisors. Marjorie Kimbrough has scripted Academy Award nominees and Emmy and Golden Globe winners such as Harriet, Fear the Walking Dead, and The Good Lord Bird. Known as the author of the quintessential book, Beyond Continuity, Script Supervising for the Modern Filmmaker, Mary Savolsky has scripted multiple Academy Award and Golden Globe winning films, including Life of Pi and Michael Clayton. Randy Feldman has taught the craft of script supervising for over 20 years. Her professional credits include the Oscar-nominated Mighty Joe Young and Sundance winner Guinevere. Barry Caldwell scripted on Beautiful Boy, Ugly Betty, Key and Peele, Queen of the South, and the cult classic Cabin Fever. Sharon Watt scripted culture-shifting and award-winning shows Pose, When They See Us, Mr. Robot, The Americans, and Boardwalk Empire. Hannah Driscoll script supervises the Emmy-nominated series Pen15, as well as big-budget commercials for well-known brands. 
Script supervisor on Emmy-nominated Dolly Parton's Heartstrings, The Originals, Ozark, and Zombieland 2 Double Tap, Tony Cray. Self-described internet prankster Nick Robinson script supervises commercials starring A-list talent and films that premiere at top-tier festivals. In addition to Script Soup, her book on script supervising, Beatrice Bellino creates experimental films and has scripted Emmy Award winners Friday Night Lights, Revolution, and Fear the Walking Dead. Shadia Sapernia scripted Lena Waite's Tribeca Award-winning series Girls Room and also writes and directs. Administrator of Los Angeles Script Supervisors Network, Robert Goodwin's credits include the Emmy Award-winning Dark Web and Love Is Not Love, which snagged over 100 festival wins. And finally, multi-talented Roe Moore scripts everything from films and commercials to live TV, teaches script supervising, and is a member of the DGA, Local 871, and Producers Guild. In this episode, we talk about finding work and getting paid, which leads to a discussion on knowing your worth and negotiating. Even though we're focused on script supervisors, I think everyone can benefit from the stellar advice from Marjorie Kimbrough, Mary Sabolsky, Robert Goodwin, Shadia Sapernia, Nick Robinson, and Sharon Watt. They'll share some inspiring stories and helpful tips on how to advocate for yourself and what you deserve. Plus, we'll touch on what we can do together to avoid exploitative situations in the future. We start with some serious wisdom from Marjorie and Mary. When I was starting out, I never turned down work. Never, ever. Even if it was dumb. I can't tell you how many low-budget, non-union, 24-day thrillers starring two has-beens and a no-talent blonde that nobody but the editors would ever see. I did 47 of those. On the other hand, I got my days. I worked with a lot of interesting people doing some terrible scripts. I had a lot of fun. I sharpened my skills, learned an enormous amount of things. And so I can't complain about any of them. And occasionally something will surface where one of those will turn out to have been a good story. But keep in mind that our careers are built on networks and it's word of mouth and who you know. And you start working for a group of people and your next job is probably going to come from that group of people. And then your next job from the two groups of people and your jobs will expand like that. I think it's probably pretty useful to think about in your best world, what sort of career would you like? Like for me, I really wasn't interested in being like a big Hollywood script supervisor. I wanted to work on really interesting projects. And I was lucky enough that I started out with people doing work that I really was interested in. I thought they were really up to something. And that led to more people who were kind of in the same frame of mind. And that just kept me going in a really satisfying direction. And it could be that for new people, or it could be like, I just want to join the union and make the biggest rate I can. So that's fine too. Job can bring you three things, money, satisfaction, career advancement. The best jobs bring you all three. Most jobs give you only two. But if you take a job for only one of them, you have no business complaining about not having the other two. When you can't afford it, steer your career in a way that would make you happy. So if you have choice of a couple jobs, maybe one would pay more, but the other one would be more interesting. If I could afford to do the one that was more interesting, I would do that because I would have in mind that that would lead me someplace further along the place I want to be than just pay the rent. Which is awesome. But paying rent is important. And my personal belief is that people should be paid for their work unless it's an agreed upon volunteer situation. 
Experienced script supervisors know that in order to do a great job on set, we need time to prep. We read the script many times, create and distribute breakdowns, spreadsheets, attend rehearsals or tech scouts, all kinds of things. But how can we communicate to the producers or whomever's hiring us that getting paid for this work is necessary? Here's the funny thing. Ever since I started asking for prep, people are like, um, yeah, let me see if we can get it in the budget. So then that clicks into their brain. Oh, yeah. She can't just show up on the day of and just expect to know everything. And they still expect you to turn in your notes right after production on time. And part of me wants to say, like, well, I'll turn it when I feel like it because you didn't even pay me for rap. And they don't even know that. So I think it's our responsibility to educate them and be like, hey, this is part of the deal. So, you know, so that they can figure it out, too, because they a lot of times they have no idea. Right. But constantly explaining and justifying why we should be paid for the work they expect us to do can get tiresome. Robert Goodwin shares his surprising and successful tactic for when they don't want to pay you for prep and his inspirational philosophy behind it. You said, okay, fine. I'll read the script when I get to set. (laughs) Yes, that is usually my go-to response for that because it has happened definitely more than once where they just assumed that I would come with all the preparations that I would normally get paid for doing just because like, that's the way I need to do my job. So yeah, I've had them where they were like, hey, here's the script, but we're not going to pay you. I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll read it when I get to set and I'll have those pages covered. But just know that like, if you ask me questions about things happening on a future day, and I haven't done my prep work for those scenes yet, because we haven't had enough time where I've been on the clock for that, then I'm not going to have those answers. And I'm very straightforward with them. I'm like, if you're not going to pay for prep, I'm not going to do prep. So you're setting me behind, but you're also setting you behind. And if everyone takes my philosophy, then things would work a lot better. The problem is a lot of people are willing to do that because they're afraid that if they come to set unprepared, that they're not going to do their job as well as they want to do. But I always say the philosophy that this is work and this is a business and you get what you pay for. And if you want my best work, then you have to pay me to do my best work. If you want the minimum work and you just want to pay the minimum, that's where you're going to get. If you expect free work, then you can expect to be kind of disappointed because I don't think anybody should be exploited like that. And I'm not going to just allow myself to be exploited like that. Never do work that you're not being paid for. This is an industry. And unless you're doing a project for friends, you don't know anybody anything. And I would say more often than not, they end up finding the money to pay me for prep. And even if they don't hire me, Hopefully they learn for whoever they hire next. And, you know, in a community like script supervising, it's not just about me. Like I have to also think about how the things I agree to affect other people in the future. I don't want to be a party to this idea that a production can get away with not paying prep days because script supervisors will just do the work anyway. You know, I want to show them, hey, you want this done, then you've got to budget for it. And I have heard stories where a production maybe doesn't call me for the next job and call somebody else, and then they offer them prep days. That's a huge win. But what if you lack the experience or confidence to pull off Rob's winning tactic? How can you effectively advocate for yourself and avoid the pitfalls? 
Sharon, Nick, and Shadia make super important points about the difference between good jobs and questionable jobs and share when it might be best just to turn down a job altogether, not only for you, but for all of us. Negotiating, I mean, everyone says this, like it is a skill. And it's weird because I don't feel like I learned negotiating as a skill consciously. I think I learned negotiating through experience. And I think it really does come from experience because, you know, when I talk to new scripts advisors and give them advice on how they should deal with certain situations, which really all boil down to advocating for themselves. When I give them advice on that, I can sort of see in their reaction that like they don't feel that they have the power in themselves to do that. But I think you need to have the confidence behind the language to say what you mean. And there's no shortcut to that. It all comes from experience that you get the confidence through experience. You know, you get the confidence by having been put into a situation several times and you're just not going to do that anymore. That is not the way that I roll. I've put up with this and I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And that only comes from having gone through those experiences where you were exploited or misled or abused by productions. And you really have to sort of take what you can from that to edify yourself and make sure that it doesn't happen again. If they're not going to pay me right, odds are that production is not going to be that much fun. It's going to be a lot of stress. There's going to be other things involved. When I've seen questions of safety on set, it's not been my very good paying jobs. It has not been when I'm on the lot. When I have seen PAs mistreated, it's not been on the good jobs. When I have seen questionable business practices, when I have been just talked down to by a producer or someone else, it's not been on the good jobs. The negotiation part is a chance for them to show you who they are. A lot of low paying jobs, they don't treat you well. There's just no respect. And so I think the more you're paid, the more you're showing like, hey, I deserve to be respected and valued and what I do is important. People all the time want to pay the script supervisor the lowest amount of money. That's what they do. I always hear this because people tell me, we have a low budget, oh, we don't really have money. But then you find out like catering, props, arts, there's always money for that. So then you're kind of like, wait a second, that's kind of cutting our department and that's not really right. So if you don't value what I'm doing, then why would I bring any sort of effort into your production? Everybody in this business, if they're the ones paying, they don't want to pay very much. They want to pay as little as they can. So appeal to them that, hey, this is the minimum that you can pay for this kind of job. And if you want to pay that much, this is what you're going to get. And that's really how I've approached everything in this industry too, is that I'm the professional on my end. I'm going to tell you what I need to get the job done to the standard you're expecting. And if you can't meet that, then you're not going to get that. So here's what you will get. You're okay with that? Then we're all in understanding. And when you get that, you can't complain, right? You've agreed to it. You know what's coming. The big thing about negotiation is you have to set your rate and you have to be okay with not doing a job. There's jobs I've wanted that it was okay that I got less because I really wanted to be a part of this. Brands still do. I have to turn down jobs, which stinks. I hate doing that. I hate it more than anything, but I realize like at the end of the day, 
There's always gonna be more work. There always will be something. And the more pay I think you take, the more people will take you seriously. If you just take anything they give you, they kind of will get away with that, even for the next person, and that's not fair. That sort of like awakening is also for script supervisors because it is still very much a female-dominated craft. When you work alone and you don't talk to anyone, you don't have any support, then you're working in a bubble a lot of the time. You really have to reach out to your peers to sort of get a real sense of what's going on out there. And especially when you're starting out, you just feel so lucky to just even get the job that you just want to keep it going. You don't want the luck to run out. You want to keep the contacts going, and you want that next job. So you take all these deals which are kind of beneath you. But you want to stay in the loop of things. If we don't talk to each other, then we don't know about other situations that we might find ourselves in. So you've kind of got to talk about pay. You've got to talk about your deal because that's how you know that you can fight harder for yourself. That's how you know that, like, well, gee, I've been struggling just to get fifteen dollars kit rental for the past three years, and I didn't even realize that some people are asking for fifty bucks. You know, <laughs> and it's like you don't know that unless you talk to other people. I think a really important thing about these networks and these Facebook groups, and I'm sure your podcast will help with that too, is just to make script supervisors aware that even though we're sort of working alone, there is this community out there that can help you. But you've got to show up. You've got to be a part of that community. And the more you give, the more you get back. I mean, that's how communities work. Exactly. We're all in this together. So if you're in New York, join Sharon in the New York Script Supervisors Network. If you're in L.A., you can join Lassen, the L.A. Script Supervisors Network. And if you're on Facebook, there are a ton of script supervisor groups. Just search for script supervisors, exclamation point, digital script supervisors, scare it using digital script supervisors, non-union script supervisors. I mean, there's just a ton of them. Join us online and be part of the community. See you there. That's it for this episode. Special thanks to all the script supervisors who were featured and to you, our listener. I hope you had fun and maybe even learned something. Script Supervisors Unsung Heroes of Film and TV was created and produced by Karen Ruby in consultation with the Los Angeles Script Supervisors Network. Episodes were edited and produced by Eden Woolworth with original music composed by Edith Mudge. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating or leave a comment. And if you know anyone who makes movies without a script supervisor, let them know about us. We are the Script Supervisor Podcast on Instagram. <laughs>